Today, um, as we gather, we are officially wrapping up our Divided series, our, our series on uh, what God has to say about politics. And, and as we navigate that, there's a couple things I want to remind you of. Um, one is, is um, that if anything, I think what we've seen throughout the course of this series is that as Christians, how we think matters. Not just how we act, but how we think. What's true? It matters, right? And, and we've been really careful in this series. What we haven't done is stood up here um, and told you what, what issues you should elevate to the top of your priority list. We haven't told you how you should um, feel about certain candidates. We haven't told you what your vote should look like, who you should vote for. Um, and we've said from the beginning that that's not the goal because we don't know more than you. What we've said, though, from the beginning is simply this, that what we should be doing is creating a list of priorities that are from God, and we should be voting in a way that honors God. And if you, at the end of the day, vote differently than I do at any level of government, that's okay, right? It's okay for us to think and believe differently as long as, at the end of the day, as a Christian— we can say that we believe that we have voted in a way that honors God and we've done what he would have us do in that. That's all we're interested in. That's why we've discussed this. That's why we've, we've dug in here. Uh, and today will be no different as we wrap up this series. Um, what we'll be talking about here a little bit, and I'm excited. When, when we're, listen, I always feel this way when we get to the end of a series. Like, um, I had a lot of fun. Like, I, I love digging into what God has for us in a certain way, but I'm always ready to move on, right? Like, I'm like, oh, hey, what's God got next? Um, and so we're going to be moving on to Hebrews starting next week, and we're going to take 10 weeks working through the book of Hebrews. And there are some big, important theological truths in the book of Hebrews, and that's going to lead us right up onto Easter Sunday as we see how Jesus is better, right? And, and, and the new covenant is better than the old, and Jesus is supreme. And that's going to be a lot of fun. But as we wrap this up, there's, there's something we have to dig into today, and it's simply this, Christian. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here, here's the way we wrap this up. You've got to be better. I, I'm not talking about you personally. I mean, maybe I am. I don't know. You know you better than I do. Um, but we have to be better. We have to be better in the way that we get involved in discussion. We have to be better in the way we get involved in discourse. We have to be better in the way we argue. We have to be better in the way we engage. We have to be better. And we're going to see in Scripture today what better looks like. Um, but I'm just going to give you a word that, that I want us to really understand uh, and, and take to heart. And the word is civil. We need to excel at civility. We need to be civil. 2009, I think I've shared this with some of you before, but in 2009, um, two politicians, a Republican, Mark DeMoss, and uh, a Democrat, Lanny Davis, um, they authored a 32-word pledge. 32 words um, that should have been very reasonable for people to agree to. Here's what it says. I'm going to read it to you. You're like, Matt, I can read 32 words. I know. Humor me. I will be civil 
in my public discourse and behavior. Who can argue with that? I will be civil in my public discourse and my behavior. I mean, how is that something we would argue with? Statement two, I will be respectful of others whether I agree with them or not. Should be an easy one to agree to. And the third, I will stand against incivility when and where I see it. Should be simple, right? I'll be civil in the way I talk and in the way I behave. I'll be respectful to you even if I disagree with you and I will stand against people that aren't being civil when I see it happening. Mark and Lenny, Lanny sent that um, to all 435 asking for their agreement with it, asking for them to sign the pledge in 2009, sent it to all 435 members of the House of Representatives, all 100 senators, and all 50 state governors. 585 people in total were asked to sign that pledge to just saying, I won't be a jerk. I mean, really, we could, we could sum that up in, in I won't be a jerk. Five words. Guess how many signed? Three. Three of our nation's representatives signed that pledge in 2009. One Democrat, one Republican, and one Independent. The other 582 people refused. You know why? Because incivility works. In the world we live in, being a jerk works. It works when we argue, it works when we debate, it works being aggressive, overtly or passively, being full of anger, name-calling, veiled threats. These are things that work in our world. They work politically. And lest we think that this is a new phenomenon over the last four or five years, no. Now listen, this goes back to 2009 and beyond. Incivility works. It seems like that's the way to be heard in our culture. Our culture responds to that. As much as we are appalled, as much as we are appalled that only three of our government officials at the highest levels agreed to sign that pledge, we engage in, with incivility. It speaks to us, right? We click on videos when we're watching online about so-and-so trashes this person's argument. Right and, and so and so, um, here's a question, and they and they and they smash their opponent. Like we love this kind of thing as much as we say we don't. We respond to it. People respond to it in our culture. That's why it works. That's why people refuse to get on board with this because they know the way to get elected and reelected and to and to develop a, a base of supporters isn't by being civil by being demonstrative and frustratingly harsh. And that's what works in our world. But Christian, we're supposed to be better. Just because it's a thing that works sometimes in our world does not mean it's how we engage.
Look at what God has to say in Proverbs. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, and it leads to death. There's a way that appears to be right, but it ain't right. God has called us to be better. And it's important for us to be better because there's a lot at stake, right? It's important for us to be civil. It's important for us to engage the right way, right? Because as Christians, we have to be countercultural. We owe our ultimate allegiance to Christ. We've talked about that through this series where our true citizenship lies and what we're really doing here. We are ultimate allegiance to Christ. So we necessarily politically think and act differently in everything we do. Christ is our firm foundation. Lisa said it, so uh, he's our cornerstone. He's our foundation. We build our life on him. He's Christ, the solid rock we stand. You know, when we sing songs, right, we do them for a reason. Right? We, we, we proclaim truth. We worship God. The, these things are true. We're countercultural. We must be. And you know why it's so important for us to be civil? By the way, civil isn't hard to figure out. It's formal politeness in courtesy, in speech, and in action. Don't be a jerk. It's what civil is. It's not blind agreement. I can disagree without being disagreeable. Now, I know Carrie is in the back going, can he? Theoretically. I can agree without, I'm working on it. I can agree without being disagreeable, right? But, but here's, here's the rub, right? In our culture, it doesn't always work to be civil. Being demonstrative and angry and nasty typically gets us our way a whole lot faster than being civil does. And so we, Christian, have adopted to the culture. But God says, no, no, you're supposed to be countercultural. There's a way that seems right to men, but in the end, it leads to death. And we've got to be better at this, right? We've, we've just got to be better. And as Christians, we especially have to be better, and here's why. Listen, listen, get, get this. I, I need you to, to, to understand this. Drill down here, because here's the issue. We've got to be better because we're the ones calling foul a lot. And we should be. We're the ones saying, no, that's not okay. And we say it a lot. And we should be. Because we are operating with the understanding that this is absolute truth. That this is God's word to us. This is what we know. This is what we use to decide how we live in the world. Right? And so when things are happening in the world that contradict God's moral standards, God's will, we say, whoa, time out. That's not okay. And we're supposed to say, whoa, time out. That's not okay. That's our job as Christians. But what we can't do is say it like jerks. Because the world is going to look at us and the world is going to say, why are you so hard to get along with? You're always saying stop. You're always saying quit it. You're always saying don't do that. You're always saying don't. And they're right. We often say that. Rightly so. So you know what the world sees when, they, when, when we Christians talk about, when we talk about things that, that aren't right, when we say no, when we say that's too far, when we say that's not good, even if we say it kindly, you know what they see? They see this. 
And, and here, here's the rub. That's not me. That's not me. I don't think that's any of you. If it is, let's talk, because it shouldn't be. Right? I don't think any of you were outside holding up picket signs after a mass shooting saying, oh, God sent that person here in judgment. No, 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 come on, that's not you. Right? Or saying, fags doom nations, God hates fags. No, come on. That's not you. Certainly isn't me. I'm not walking around saying that planes crash and God laughs in judgment. But here's the problem. When the world looks at Christians that say, no, 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 listen, God's standard says this is not okay. This is what they see. And part of that is just the way it's going to have to be. We talked about that earlier in this series, that, that when we stand on truth for the word of God, for the sake of Christ and the cause of Christ, we will be persecuted. They will slander us. They will say wrong things about us. But listen to me, church, stop giving them a reason to. And I'm not saying stop giving them a reason to, like stop talking about sin. I'm saying stop being nasty. Because we're better than that. We're supposed to be. There's a way that seems right to man, and in the end, it leads to death. And just because you can win an argument by being loud and demonstrative and nasty does not mean that you're being biblical. And we got to quit it. And God's really clear about that. God's really clear about that in Scripture. Okay? So before we get in, we're going we're gonna to live in um, 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul uh, writes to Timothy. It's chapter 2, 7 verses, verse 20 through 26. And we're going to dig in there, but, but I want you to know this is first. This is the mandate, right? There's a way that seems right to men in the end it leads to death, but here's the right way. As much as it depends on you, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Will you agree with everyone? No, you won't. Will you have to disagree publicly, privately with people? Yeah, you will. Can you live at peace with them? As much as it depends on you, that's your call. Live at peace as much as it depends on you. All right? So we're going to dig in here and see what Paul has to say. And uh, we're going we're to walk through these, uh, again, those seven verses. We're going to chunk them up here. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy um, chapter 2. We'll start in verse 20. If not, you can follow along on the screen. But here's what it says. In a large house, there are articles. Now, this gets a little weird. So we're going to talk about what this means. Uh, this is one of those things where if you were reading this by yourself, you might, like, scoot right through it. Um, and not give it a second thought because it's hard to understand it out of context, but, but we'll dig into it. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. All right, so let's dig in here. What Paul is saying in this text is that there are, well, let, let's say it this way. If you are over 45, this is the, the delineation I've put on it, and, and, and because I'm 44, that's right, isn't it? That's right. I'm 43. You got, that's embarrassing, like a lot. But I'm going to get over it. Kind of. 
if we record the first sermon, I think that's what we did. Like I say in there, I'm 44, and everybody's going to be like, oh, he's 44. He's not. No, I said 40. It, okay, here, here's the deal. I'm 43, apparently. I will be 44 in April. Um, some of you are thinking, no, there's no way he could be that old. Go ahead. Who was thinking it? I appreciate that. You're like, no, there's no way he's going to be 44. Okay, I get it. Here's the deal. Anyway, let's get, let's get back on track. If you are my age or older, there's a good like, and you're married, there's a good chance that you have China in your house somewhere. Raise your hand if you have China at home. If you are younger than me, you may not. Who, who's got China at their house that's younger than me? Was it gifted to you? Yeah, most people don't register for China anymore. Right? We got married. It was one of these things. We were right in that cusp, that dividing line of should we register for China? We're like, no, go to Walmart. Let's register for the plates. We still have some of them. Right? They're everyday use plates. If it breaks, guess what we do? We throw it away and we're not sad. My parents have China. It sits in the cupboard. It used to sit in the China cabinet. Right? And it's there. And we don't get to use it. Some of you have China that you don't get to use. It's for special occasions. If somebody important comes to your house and you're having a dinner, you might get the China out. If I come to your house, we get paper plates and red Solo cups. <laughs> and listen, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Right, but, but here, here's the rub, right? We have this, we get this idea. This is what Paul's talking about. He's like, in some houses, they didn't have paper products in China. They had gold and silver, and then they had wood and clay, right? And Paul says, in terms of, of us, he says, some of us are like gold and silver utensils, articles for the house. That's what articles is. It's plates, cups, utensils. Some of us are like gold and silver. Some of us are wood and clay, right? If you're wood and clay, you're common everyday things, if you're gold and silver, you're set apart for a special purpose. And then he goes on to say, you can actually make yourself gold and silver, set apart for a special, a special purpose by separating yourself from the common. Okay? And, and there's this truth that we have to start to understand here. And it's, it's a place where I think we as a church sometimes aren't clear enough. And so I want to be clear. Salvation is by grace through faith, and there is nothing that you can do to earn it. You're like, Matt, you say that all the time. Yes, I know we're clear there, right? Salvation is by grace, grace through faith, and, and, and there's nothing you can do to earn it. If you are a Christian, you are a Christian simply because you have faith that Jesus is who he says he is, and you've turned your life over to him, and you've made him Lord of your life. That's salvation, you can't earn it. We had a baptism last week. We're going to have another one next week. Hopefully, we'll have a lot more as people are, are making the decision. By the way, if you're interested in being baptized, saying, hey, as a believer in Christ, I believe and I want to follow. I want to make sure everybody knows that I'm putting Christ first. Let's talk. That's, that's baptism time. Baptisms are great. Baptisms don't save you. They don't bring you salvation. Later today, we're going to take communion. Communion is awesome. Communion doesn't save you. 
Some of you, the way that you came to faith is, is you responded to an altar call and you walked to the front of the church during a song or during an invitation. That's awesome. It doesn't save you. Some of you repeated, sometimes pastors before will, you know, repeat after me. And we say the sinner's prayer. It's great. It doesn't save you. None of those are bad things. Some of you said your confirmation when you were 13 or 14 or however old it is. You stood in front of the church and you repeated some things in the Apostles' Creed and some other things. And you, you made a verbal statement that Jesus is Lord. And, and, and that's awesome. That doesn't save you either. We are saved by grace through faith when we believed. We've, we've likened it this way before. We say that grace is like the milkshake and faith is the straw that you draw it onto yourself. That's the, the extent of your participation is the faith to draw it onto yourself. Salvation is by grace, belief that Jesus is who he says he is, that he came, that he lived, that he died, that in death he took your sins upon himself and that he was resurrected and that in trusting him, I have salvation. That is salvation. It is by grace through faith. Paul says um, in Ephesians, not in anything that we have done, no good works, lest we would boast. It is only by the grace of God. By the way, talking about shakes, it's because shamrock shake season is almost upon us. That's a thing. It's happening soon. So you get excited for that. But, but here's the deal. This is where I think sometimes as a church we've been misleading. Not on purpose, but because we talk about this idea all the time that salvation is by grace through faith, not in anything that you do because we don't ever want you to be confused about how or why you're saved. If you're trusting in something else, stop it. Salvation is when you acknowledge Christ in his sacrifice and you put all of your hope in him and you turn your life over to him. That's it. No other ritual, no other way, that is it. All of that other stuff is great because it points to that reality. That's it. But, but here, here is the, the way that we sometimes get off on this. Salvation is not earned. Effective ministry is absolutely earned. You can't earn your salvation, but if you want to be effective in the work that God has for you, then listen to me, earn it. Set yourself apart. Stop acting like you're a utensil for common everyday use. Set yourself apart. That's what Paul says. Be set apart to make yourself ready and useful for any good work that the master has for you. Set yourself apart. You can't earn your salvation, but you got to work hard to be effective in ministry. You want to make a difference with your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your community for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Then work at it. Set yourself apart. You can't live an openly sinful life. You can't live harboring secret sins in your heart and then say, okay, God, I'm ready. Use me. It's not going to use that. You got to set yourself apart. You're like, okay, Matt, what does it look like to set myself apart? Great question. Here's what Paul says. Next verse. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Reject the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness. Be better. 
Stop looking at porn. Stop flirting with somebody that's not your spouse. Stop cheating on your taxes. Okay, stop fudging on your taxes. You're like, I don't cheat, and you fudge. Stop spreading rumors. Stop engaging in gossip and slander. Like, stop those things. Flee from the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, love, and peace. And you're not alone. Pursue it along with everybody else who calls on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Engage in growth. Cut sin out of your life. Pursue righteousness. When you pursue righteousness, you're setting yourself apart from common to be used by God for a special purpose. Your salvation is a free gift of God. Your ministry, your ministry needs to be earned. And I'm not talking, we say ministry, we start to think of, oh, well, there's church and there's children's ministry and youth ministry and, and Sunday morning ministry and worship ministry and all of that. Yeah, that, that's all fine and good. But when I say ministry, I'm talking about just being useful and effective in your life for the sake of the kingdom. You got to work at that. Set yourself apart. Keep going, right? How do, how, you know, we're, we're fleeing this. So what does all that mean? Well, it means that we need to be better. So, so here's what Paul says. Here's, here's a way politically and in discourse with people, here's a way that you have to set yourself apart. 23 and 24, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Man, it's warm. It's a thing. So, So here's how you track that, right? Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. I love it when the Bible uses the word stupid because then I can use it without getting in trouble. Don't be stupid. That word for stupid there, for stupid arguments that we sometimes engage in, um, the Greek word for that is apidotos, right? Apidotos. And so what it means is unlearned, ignorant, lacking facts, bordering on, in its expression, rudeness, right? And so here Paul's saying, like, look, 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 here, here's the thing. One of the ways that we be better, one of the ways that we set ourselves apart is we don't have anything to do with stupid and foolish arguments, right? We, we just don't engage. Why don't we engage? Because they produce quarrels. And when you quarrel, right, then you stop being kind and you stop being able to teach and you start being resentful, right? We put, we put this text in, in the inverse, right? We start being those things. And so Paul says, don't quarrel. Instead, be kind to everyone, be able to teach and not resentful. And, and so here's this big idea that you need to understand. This is so critically important here. Able to teach in this context is not this. As a Christian, you are called to be able to teach. That does not mean that every one of you is able to teach in this context with with this group being up here and trying to to disseminate information that you can learn and it'll change and you'll grow and things will happen, or even a Sunday school class where we teach and, and people learn and they grapple and wrestle with information. That's not what this means. This word for teach means to influence right? Being able to teach in this context is able to influence people for the sake of the kingdom of God. So stop having anything to do with stupid arguments. Because when you engage in a stupid argument that's factless, it's not rooted in anything, you get into a quarrel. And when you quarrel, 
You have lost your ability to influence. You're no longer able to teach. And, and some of us, man, we love to fight. We love to quarrel for the sake of being right. I mean, not me, but you guys do that. Listen, I have a flaw. I have a lot of flaws. This is where you're shocked. No. No, it's true. I do. I have a lot of flaws. Um, one of them is that sometimes I act like it's my God-given purpose to engage in every foolish fight that there is to win every stupid argument that exists for the sake of the kingdom of God. The problem with that is that that's not what I'm called to do. And when I act like that, what happens I got nothing. I don't even know how to, like, I'm sure there's a way I could, like, tie that into, like, some kind of biblical example. I just don't know what it is. Um, so we're going to pretend it didn't happen. For those of you that are confused, that's fine. I'm not going to tell you. Um, I don't even know where I, my flaw, other than that one. Here, here's, here's the thing. I consider it my, my duty to engage and win these fights, Right? Um, the problem is this they're dumb fights and winning them does me no good right like, like what's the point it's harsh it's silly it's quarrelsome it's a flaw of mine it's something that I'm growing in and I need to keep growing in right because it doesn't help it hurts the kingdom it ruins my ability to influence. Paul says really clearly, if you want to be set apart, then you can't engage in foolish arguments. You can't do it. Right? Because you might win a foolish, stupid argument. But if you win that argument, right, you've lost your ability to influence. And again, I'm not talking about disagreement. See, disagreement is fine. Disagreement is just giving, um, it's giving an argument or a reason for the position that I hold. Disagreement might even be giving a position against or giving an argument against the position that you hold. Right? That's, a, that's an easy disagreement. We can disagree, and that's fine. I can tell you why I disagree, that here's why I think my way is right. Not foolishly, not stupidly, not arguing back and forth and calling names and being argumentative and hard to get along with, but I can tell you this is why I think my position is right. I can even say this is why I think your position is flawed. But quarreling is when it turns nasty. And, and too many of us get nasty. Quarreling is when it gets personal. When we name call. When we try to win at all costs. When we try to emotionally put something down. Sometimes it even gets physical or verbal. That's quarreling. And God says, no, 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 you have nothing to do with those stupid arguments because they lead to that kind of quarreling. And when you quarrel, you lose your ability to influence. Even if you win the quarrel, you've lost your ability to influence. 
I struggle with that. I wonder if some of you do too. It's, it's an area where we need to grow so that we can be set apart, that God can use us for something more profound than just winning dumb arguments. Because even if you win an argument, you know as well as I do, you're not changing anybody's opinion. Talking after the service with somebody about this, you ever notice how when you engage in a foolish, stupid argument with somebody else, guess what happens to the rest of the room? <laughs> they go away. Right, You could be in a crowded room and you and somebody else engage in this dialogue. Everybody else is gone. I can't tell you how many times. Um, I can't. It's probably like four. Um, so that was wrong. I can tell you it's been about four times. But, but in our house, when, when um, a, a certain individual is over and will start engaging in foolish and stupid arguments that lead to this bantering and quarreling back and forth, and the next thing I look up and Carrie's no longer in the room. I'm like, where'd you go? And she's like, I wasn't listening to any more of that. Like, I could win the quarrel, but I'm not doing anybody any good, and I'm losing my ability to influence. It doesn't work. You know what's really terrible for this? We've been discipled to this. This is social media at its finest. And even if you grew up and you spent a good portion of your life prior to social media being a thing, it does not take long for you to be discipled in this. And you might think, man, that guy really hates social media because all series he's been railing on social media and Facebook and, and, and MySpace and, I know, it's not a thing anymore, and, and Instagram and Snapchat and whatever else there is. You're like, why is he so mad? I'm not mad at those things. Those things aren't good or bad. They're amoral. Amoral means it's not positive, it's not negative, it's not evil, it's not good. There are a lot of things that are amoral in our world. Money is one of them. We can do good things with money. We could do evil things with money. Money isn't good or bad. What we do with it is. The internet. We've got all of this technology, all, or technology, all of this information in front of us. We could do really good things with all of the information at our fingertips through, through the internet. We could do really evil things with the information and things that are on the internet. I said in the last service, you have to decide where cat videos fall. Are they good or evil? I don't know. You have to decide. But here's the point. Social media is amoral. But we've been discipled to use it wrongly. We've been discipled to use it wrongly. There's two problems with social media that, that we get sucked into culturally. One of them is this idea. It's called the echo chamber. And the problem with social media is that when you're online, you're only engaging with people that see it your way. By and large, the only people that you listen to, the only people that you follow, the only people that you track with are people that see things your way. And so all that's happening when you're on social media is that your way of viewing the world is just reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. And you're not forced to interact with anybody that thinks differently. And there are so many different viewpoints and everybody is just in this echo chamber where they're only hearing their own voice. And it's a problem. Right? And what happens when we do finally hear a comment or see a post or something that we disagree with? We either unfollow those people because we don't need that kind of thing in our life. We either unfollow it or we trash it because we're so used to being validated in the way we think and feel in this echo chamber. It's a problem. And the other problem is this. We have been given far too much influence more than we've earned or deserve. 
Here's the deal. I hope I have influence in your life. As your pastor, my hope and desire is that I have earned a way to influence you. And as somebody that I know and care about, you have a right and a way to influence me. And what's great about that is we influence each other is we have to look each other in the face. And so even if we think differently, even if we believe differently, even if we see it differently, there's a diversity in the way we think and feel, and we don't believe the same thing always. We have to look each other in the eye, and I can say, you know what? You're not a bad person because you disagree with me. And I'm not a bad person because I disagree with you. Right? Every, every person on the conservative right is not a racist and a bigot. Every person on the more liberal left is, is not a socialist and a communist. Right? And that's what happens when our reach gets too far is we start to dehumanize everything. We start to have arguments with people we don't know and ideas that are... But, but when you and I can have dialogue then you know what? When, our, when my influence is with you and you with me, then even if we disagree, listen, I know you, and you know me, and, and, and we can be civil. So we've been discipled with, with social media and those things to, to do it weirdly and differently, and I want to encourage you to, to rein it in. To rein it in. You're like, okay, so what do we do? We gotta be civil. What do, what do we do? Well, well here's the deal. Um, we be gentle. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger, right? But harshness seems to work. But here's the truth, right? We read it in, in Proverbs 14, right? It seems to work in our world. Yeah, just because it seems to work in our world, there's a way that seems right to men, but in the end, it leads to death, right? And as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, right? Set yourself apart, for holy living. Don't engage in sin. Set yourself apart for holy living and don't engage in stupid arguments. Stop being known for being a fighter, right? Pull back. A gentle answer is going to do more good than a harsh word. And, and Paul ends the chunk, the last two verses, he ends it this way. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Can I tell you something here? Very clearly, Paul here is talking about people that oppose God's word, not your views. We've talked about this in the series, right? We are too quick to elevate um, our own personal preferences and put them on par with God's word. Now, there's a reason we have personal preferences, and we might be very wise, and we might be very smart, and that might be a good thing for us to have our personal preferences. But your personal preference, my personal preference, is not the same thing as God says. And there are areas in Scripture where God has very clearly said, Paul is talking about these things here, in areas of Scripture where God has very clearly said, right, stop getting involved in stupid, frustrating, foolish arguments. Stop being quarrelsome. Keep your ability to influence. Why? So that you can gently instruct in the hope that God will grant repentance. Here's the thing that you need to understand. This is the truth that we've talked about forever in this church, and we will continue to talk about as we start to understand. Listen, our goal is not to win a political argument. 
Our goal is to save people from hell. Because hell is real. And people that we love are destined to be there unless they repent and follow Jesus. That is not me talking. That is the word of God talking. And so people that think differently, they are not my enemy. They're not my enemy. They've been, what does it tell us? They've, they've been held captive. They're ensnared by the devil to do his will. I, I don't want to fight with them. I don't want to win a quarrel with them and then push them further away in the process. I don't want to make them look foolish. I don't want to demolish them in a debate. I don't want to hurt them so that I can feel better about myself. Right? I want to gently instruct. I want to love. I, I, I want to free. I want to liberate. That's what Paul says. He's like, we're better than this, church. In every way. Politics is no different. Stop getting involved in stupid, foolish arguments and instead realize that the person that's opposed to you, to your idea, to your thought, to your truth that we find in Scripture, the person that's opposed, man, they're not the enemy. They've been captured and ensnared by the devil. I, I was saying this in, in, in the first service and um, then Travis took my debit card because he needed $5 and I had no cash. And don't worry, Aubrey, I told him to get five for you too. Um, but here, here's the deal. My kids, both in, in junior high, and, and in high school a little bit too, but it's mostly been in junior high. They have a teacher, a very outspoken, demonstrative teacher who does not mind trying to, to push his own thoughts and, and truths onto them even in areas where they're contrary to what I believe fundamentally, foundationally to be the truth. And I find myself getting mad. I find myself wanting to quarrel. Here is the stupid part. I quarrel with my kids about something somebody else is trying to make them believe. In doing that, do you know what I've done? Like, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. In doing that, I've actually pushed them more towards his way of thinking because I quarrel with them about a stupid and foolish argument in the process pushing them that way instead of gently instructing in the hope that God will grant repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. Coming to senses, escaping the trap of the devil. This is problematic. But God said, hey, Christian, be better. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be better. I need to repent of that. Some of you probably do as well. Right? Those with immoral views need to be liberated, not insulted. Not put down not trashed in a debate, not conquered, liberated. Because the word of God is clear. Hell is real. And what we do matters. And I want to be able to teach, useful for influence, 
I don't want to win a bunch of stupid arguments and push people further away. It doesn't work. In a minute, we're going to take communion. And as we take communion together, here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on the idea that the mission is greater than we are and that it's clear. Our mission is liberation of souls. And so as we go to communion, there's two things I want us to think about. One, we're just going to thank God for what he's done for us. We're going to thank God for this reality and this truth that we are saved by grace through faith. Nothing that we can do, nothing that we can boast about. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, then this is a reality you have not accepted, and I would invite you to accept it today. I'd invite you to understand it and and surrender to it today. That Jesus Christ gave up his life. God sent him. He came voluntarily. The son of God, God in flesh. He never sinned. He was perfect, yet he still allowed himself to be hung on a cross, tortured, brutalized, to take the sins of the world onto himself. He took my sin, your sin, everybody's sin, onto his shoulders on the cross, feeling the wrath of God so that we don't have to. And he didn't stay dead, but burst forth from the grave, conquering death, so that we can too. And in that, we don't just get eternity in heaven. And that's awesome. Eternity in heaven is actually a byproduct of what we get. We actually get life with meaning and purpose connected to the God of the universe. We get wholeness. We get suffering washed away and pain and tears washed away. This life gets meaning. Even when it's hard, it gets meaning. There's value and influence. And then eternally, we will spend in heaven with our creator. Like If you've never done that before. I mean, there's no time like the present to say, okay, God, I've been trusting in the wrong thing, or I I haven't even understood, but I'm going to surrender, and I'm going to follow you. But for the rest of us, too, here's what I want us to do. I want us to spend a time in, in confession and repentance. Because God says, look, if you want to be useful, you've got to be set apart. Some of us are, are trying to play it both ways, Right? We know that we're, we're, we're saved by grace through faith, but we've forgotten that being saved by grace through faith calls us to live a life that's set apart. And so we're like, yay, we're saved. And then we're trying to live this life that doesn't separate itself. We're still engaging the way the world engages. We need to confess that. Whatever it is, if it's behavior, if it's attitude, if it's um, relationships, you need to confess those. And and then we need to commit to doing it God's way, to gentle instruction, to working hard in the mission, to working to liberate people that are ensnared in the trap of the devil, because it matters. So here's what I'm doing. I'm going to pray, and as I do that, I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward. 
I'm going to ask the, uh, the men to come forward and prepare to serve. Uh, just go ahead and find yourselves in position here, and uh, we'll take communion together. I would invite you and remind you that, that here at Blessed Hope Community Church, we practice open communion. And what that means is that anyone that is um, a believer in Christ is welcome to come and take communion with us. You do not need to be a member of the church. We do ask that you be a follower of Jesus. Okay, and so as we come together and, and we take communion, um, I just want to encourage you to, to be reflective, to repent where you need to repent, to confess what you need to confess, and to commit to doing it God's way. And then if you take communion back to your seats, we'll all um, partake together. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you for, for the truth that we are saved by grace through faith, and there is nothing we can do to earn it. God, because I confess to you that I am so far away from earning favor from you that it's ridiculous. I'm so far away, but I don't need to earn it because you have freely poured it out on me. And in response to that, God, I confess to you that I struggle sometimes to set myself apart but that I'm, I'm striving to do so. Not, not out of compulsion, but because I want to honor you with the way that I live my life and I want to be useful and effective. God, help me to remember that this truth of salvation is not just for me, but even for those who think differently than I do. And God, I, I want to engage with them in a way that allows me to influence and draw, not that, that brings fights and quarrels. Help me to be civil and Christian in my interactions. Father, I love you. We praise you as a body, and we just thank you for everything that you've done. Amen.